0: let's uh let's bump elbows and pray to the lord father we come before you today to ask you lord for what you can give us right now to pray that you do you do distribute your life through your word and your spirit lord you've said that you've said in psalm 138 verse 2 you've magnified your word above all your name So, Lord, we want to be able to magnify your word as we go out from here because it is the spirit that answers to the word, which brings life into anyone's, anyone's heart. And Lord, even in terms of getting saved, it's the spirit and the word that conceives new life. So, Lord, be with us today. Speak to our hearts. Show us the next step and the way to go. We ask these things in Jesus' precious and powerful name. Amen. Thank you. you. May be seated in the Lord's presence. If you have your Bible with you, turn to Ephesians chapter 4. So, you know, as I do counseling and I meet with people or I see or hear people in our congregation or out other places, I think for a lot of people, um, rather than being brought together by the justice of the peace, sometimes in a marriage it seems like they were married by the secretary of war. I'm just saying. And and, and, and and unfortunately, too many times, we reach a point in our relationship where we wouldn't know what to do if we didn't fight, and so therefore, for the sake of uh, trying to talk things out, the conflict continues. Now that problem exists and persists for three reasons. So let me give you an experiential exegesis of what I would see as the root problems in your home. First, we are all born selfish, being born in sin. And we don't hardly even acknowledge that today. We just ride right over that, and yet that is a root issue. So if you want to say that the problem in your life has to do with the past, well, yes, it does. You were born in sin. (laughs) Uh, You want to say, well, what was attachment Issues. Yes, you are attached to sin. Secondly, we are raised selfishly because we are trained to expect that our needs are going to be met instead of the discipline to be sensitive to meeting the needs of others. And like Jesus said, be servant of all, to be the servant of all. No, that's not the way that our society goes today. Third, we are raised for self-esteem and self-expression instead of self-denial which leads to serving others. And you have to admit Jesus was kind of big on self-denial. And so last time we looked at the preceding verses here in Ephesians 4 and we saw the type of decisions that you have to make and the type of goals that you have to set and the type of mindset that will allow your home to function as God intended so you can be adulting in the home. But now the next most important subject, after giving you a complete mindset for the home, and it follows in order here in Ephesians 4, is to give you a communication manual for the home. So, you know, I can show you today from God's own human life manual, biblically, how to communicate. I think we need to go ahead and admit something. And that is that a lot of family life deterioration can be traced back to issues of communication. And so counselors and therapists are able to identify the symptoms and give certain surface things that ameliorate those symptoms, but they never get down to the root problem. So the symptom is we don't get along. You know the real problem is you're not communicating right. Well the symptom is we don't know how to be intimate. Now then you know the problem is you don't know how to communicate intimacy. And so if if my concern here is not just Ephesians 4, it is showing you how to communicate. My concern today is to show you how to overcome in satanic conflict, in the spiritual warfare which exists in our society right now. And in order to do that, Paul gives us and the Ephesians four principles. These are divine keys to handling conflict in the home and in the church. Number one, convert your disposition. You you have to take the word of God and change your personality. You've got to change your character. Now, In doing that, you will be able to conquer the devil. Once that is done, then you can make clear the difference in your lifestyle from the world's lifestyle, and finally, develop a Christ-like demeanor. Now, I'm going to say you ought to take a moment and get those four things down. I am giving you this up front by way of survey of this passage. Because I need you to know conflict is inevitable for all of us. And if God wants to strengthen your home, then He will bring resistance into your home or allow the devil to bring resistance in the home. Uh, we see that here in verses twenty five to twenty nine and verse thirty one. Because we only gain strength against resistance, second Corinthians twelve, verse nine. So, taking this outline, we will seek to quantify and qualify and measure so that we can apply what Paul tells us right here. God magnifies his word above all his name. This is how we magnify it in our life. So do not feel bad. Do not feel guilty because there's conflict. Feel bad if you didn't put it down before it went too far. You need to feel bad if you did not pray to God for more grace. You need to feel bad if you did not rely on the Holy Spirit by walking in the Spirit in order to receive his fruit of self-control. So today I'm going to give you not just points, I'm going to give you rules. I am going to tell you the rules. There are seven rules on adulting in the home. And these are basic counseling concepts but they're counseling concepts not acknowledged by the world. And this complete communication manual is found in Ephesians 4, verses 25 to 32. And my difficulty is, how can I make something clear, which is as comprehensive as this? So you pray, and you pray that God will tailor a word, even as I preach, so you can get some of these things down. First, rule number one. Tell the truth to God, to yourself, and to each other. Verse 25, wherefore putting away lying, okay, did you notice that his assumption is, you are a liar? (laughs) And that is because, like the Old Testament says, God makes the comment in the Old Testament, I don't know how we ought to take this, but he makes the comment and he says, I'm not a man that I should lie. In other words, all men lie. and All women lie. And so, okay, Paul says, look, put it away so you can speak every man truth with his neighbor. Now, truth to God is called confession. Truth to yourself is called recognition. Truth to others is the basis for correct communication. And you would, you would think I would not have to define this Well, let me hit you with this definition. Truth is that which corresponds to waking reality. Now, sometimes you and I do not know what truth is, not through our senses, not by observation, and not in your experience. That is why Jesus said he is the truth, John 14, 6. And the Bible says that God's word is the scripture of truth. It is the inscripturating of truth. It is the script. It is the writing down of Jesus, Daniel 10, verse 21, in order to give you the certainty of the words of truth, Proverbs 22, verses 20 and 21. And those words provide certainty on your life. Therefore, and this is my thesis for today's study, if you're going to fix your home, you've got to focus on creating an environment where people speak God's truth as the mechanism to deal with reality. You can't let your perception of reality be the mechanism to try and determine your truth You know, we're all like the pompous politician that tried to uh, portray himself as George Washington. You remember our first president, George Washington, a story told that when he was a child, he chopped down a cherry tree, and his father came to him and said, who chopped down this cherry tree? And he was honest. He said, I did, and he got a spanking anyway. And so this politician, trying to paint himself like George Washington, said, you know, I was only spanked once in my life, and it was for telling the truth. And somebody in the crowd stood up and said, well, it sure cured you, didn't it? You'll get that on the way home. And so rule number one is be proactive. You have to take the initiative to speak truth because you are automatically a liar. And you can only get the truth from God who is not. Now, you can say outside of the Bible, you can say other things which are true, but they do not pertain to everlasting life and godliness, as Second Peter 1.3 says. That means your Bible is entirely sufficient for the things you really need. So what reason does Paul give in verse 25 that we who are Christians must speak the truth? He says in verse 25, "...for we are members one of another." So every relationship demands truth-telling. In other words, true by God's definition. So members of a body or members of a home have to use truth as the mechanism to deal with reality in order for the family to function as God intends, to be functional and not dysfunctional. And God's given you a perfect illustration. Your body functions... In such a way that your body does not lie our bodies do not lie so there are a lot of places you may be able to choose your gender your doctor's office is not one of those places and hormone therapy or even destructive surgery does not change your bone density your bone structure or your muscle mass so 21 clinicians and researchers from nine european countries i saw an article that the wall street journal had i assume it was an opinion piece talking about gender affirming care and how necessary it is and i don't know i wall street journal is a conservative uh, paper i guess and so i don't know but these These 21 clinicians from nine European countries saw that, and they wrote a letter that all of them signed to the effect that, you know, what you just said is not really true. Gender-affirming care does not improve the well-being of what we call transgender teens or gender-diverse people, and it is not, according to the science, it is not... An effective suicide prevention measure. Now, you need to hear me out on this because I have, uh, I have a stake in this in the sense that I'm not going to let our youth think that this is just a Baptist rant. A number of other, you can go to many other churches today and get a Baptist rant uh, about these issues. This is not that. Okay? I, I, I'm a doctor, trust me. I mean, I wouldn't even mention that if it didn't take me 30 years to get, but but hear me out, because this involves your children and the youth of our church, and you know, I don't really care about culture wars. I care about spiritual warfare, because evangelicaldom got distracted with politics as the remedy, which it is not, and got distracted from Bible preaching, which is the remedy, well... America is now in the state that it's in. I mean, we are certainly much worse off today than when Jerry Falwell's moral majority was active, which was neither. Uh, At the time when he could swing elections for certain candidates, no. So I want to say the things that will impress your kids, not that they will be impressed with me, but the things that will make an impression because it conforms to waking reality of God's truth. Every systematic review of the studies shows that there is no mental health benefit for hormonal interventions. Rather, they are low certainty and they are high risk, significant risk of sterility, of lifelong dependence on those drugs, And the anguish of regret as they grow up and grow older. And yet every minor dependent who makes gender transition is going to generate $60,000 for Big Pharma over their lifespan in today's dollars. And you know, I'm not a conspiracy theorist type person. I mean, I know the conspiracy. It It is the world, the flesh, and the devil. But... This is perhaps, it's not a conspiracy, it's the spirit of our age. This is perhaps the biggest psychological scandal and medical fraud in the history of the United States. I mean, even European countries who have totally, fully socialized medicine have rethought the situation since what Americans are doing is neither safe nor beneficial Because nothing exists to change the truth witnessed by your body. So the first step to treating any teen with gender dysphoria or any person of any age with any state of unease or dissatisfaction with their life. Is for them to recognize they can make peace with their conscience and peace with the conviction of the Holy Spirit if they will accept Jesus, the everlasting life that Jesus offers them. And that means we're the only ones who have the ultimate answer. The only ultimate answer is God's, the truth of God's word in the gospel. That is the only thing that saves. Now, you can get other answers that may put a veneer over the top and make you think you're better, or the devil might even raise up off of you for a minute and let you think that is the way to go. But the only answer is the gospel. If you go back a couple of chapters, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 3, Paul says... That among the children of dis- disobedience, also we all had our conversation in, t- in times past, in the lusts of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind. Of the mind. That, you, you make up your rationalizations. 1 Corinthians 6, verses 9 to 11 on your handout Be not deceived, neither fornicators, nor adulterers, nor idolaters, nor effeminate, nor abusers of themselves of mankind. And then verse 10, shall inherit the kingdom of God. Wait, and such were some of you. Well, what what fixed you? You're washed. You're sanctified. You are justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. And those three things right there is the only human answer. So we can empathize. We can validate their feelings. We can normalize their despair because we were all lost Gentiles ourselves. So we understand that. But man, we can't normalize barbaric practices of mutilation and sterility. That's, I mean, that's what they used to do like in uncivilized times. So in the home... As husband and wife, you can be two different personalities with two different upbringings. But if you communicate truth, you level the playing field for everybody. Because that means you are dealing with God's waking reality. So this is rule number two. Maintain self-control. Look at verse 26. Be ye angry and sin not. Let not the sun go down upon your wrath. Okay, the one thing, so if I start at the end of that verse and work my way toward the front, one thing that gives the devil the most opportunity in your life and in your family is anger. Why? Because the home should be a secure environment, and the devil would not be able to get in so often if you did not open the door and let him in. And the big thing, biggest thing that opens the door is misuse of anger. Now, Paul says, go ahead and be ye angry because it is not unconditional love to love wickedness. You, you cannot love evil. Uh, you cannot be at peace with someone who is acting unrighteously. So there has to be a time to be angry without sin other and without it leading to sinning. And here's your key. This is our first point for study, to test if anger is legitimate Use the fuse of patience and prayer. Proverbs fifteen eighteen: A wrathful man stirreth up strife, but he that is slow to anger appeaseth strife. Proverbs sixteen thirty two: He that is slow to anger is better than the mighty. How mighty are you? And he that ruleth his spirit, better than he that taketh the city. Proverbs 19.11, the discretion of a man deferreth his anger. So the only way that you can die to self and make sure you walk in the spirit is pray first. It's to be patient. It's to take the time to run your emotions before the Lord prior to giving them uh, unlimited selfish expression. And so walk away from the situation. Go and tell God on them. Go out and tell God on them, and then make your emotions match God's heart about the matter. You know, one man said, you know, when my wife and I fight, she gets historical. I said, don't you mean hysterical? He said, no, she goes all the way back. <laughs> so here's the question. Do you really, and I, you know, I'm asking myself this question many times I counsel couples. Do you really want to fix this problem, or you just you just want to slice each other up? in front of me. Many of our legitimate battles turn into terrorist bombings because of misused anger, and the casualties then become our innocent children. Uh, One person said, you know, well, at least when I get angry and I explode, it's all over. Yeah, that's true of a roadside IED, but look at the damage that it does. So in order to keep anger from becoming sin, you've got, Paul says, you've got to time it. Do not let the sun set and stay angry. Agree to address the offense with confession, with forgiveness that day, or at least, and this may be better sometimes, agree on a future time that you're going to return to it and resolve it. Do not just carry it over Because, this is our second point for study, you have no right to store the hurts of the past. Why? Because God is not doing that with you. So, Hebrews 12, 15, you must look diligently. You need to watch out. Diligently, lest any man fail of the grace of God. How do you fail? How do you fail? You know what? A lot of times I counsel people and the, my counseling does not fail them. They fail my counseling. So it's not that counseling fails them. Don't go out and say, well, you know, I went to Allen or I went to that church or, you know, I got counseling and it didn't work. No, you didn't work. The counseling was right. you didn't work because you failed to the grace of God, because a root of bitterness sprung up to trouble you, and thereby many are defiled by that. Now it's a root of bitterness, because it's unseen underground. Uh, it is a root because it is unknown, and yet it is the central precipitating cause. It is a root because it springs up and you don't even remember where it came from originally. If the past becomes a pattern, then point it out. Okay, so if the past is a pattern, tell the truth on it, but do not use anger to overreact and then say that it was because of all the past things that I did not respond to correctly on the day they were done. That overreaction is overload because you don't have any right to carry balances over to the next day. God says, God says his mercies are new every morning. You better be praising the Lord for that. You better thank God for that. Now, you need to make sure that it's so in your life by not carrying stuff over. Otherwise, his mercies ain't new for you. So I'm going to give you a technique that will be the solution and it will bring harmony to adulting in the home. When you go to bed, take all the events of your life that offended you that day, whatever was done, whoever did them, and give it to God through prayer. And if you fall asleep before you get through all of them, just assume (laughs) that it all got done. And that's the only way to ensure that vengeance belongs to the Lord and not to you. And that's the only way to prevent planting a bitter root. And you can do this. You can do this. Because here's our third point for study. The Holy Spirit inside your heart is ready to say something to you about the providence of God in what he allowed to hurt you. So talk to him about it. How do we handle PTSD? Believe me, I completely understand the war veteran who crawls underneath the pew at the sound of somebody dropping a hymnal and it smacks on the floor. I completely understand that. But the solution is not tapping. It is certainly not EMDR. The solution, so in that sense, the solution's not therapy. The solution is you processing it before God in prayer. And that is a solution that's not like a medicine. It's not a medication that you take it and it immediately numbs you. No, this, this is a vitamin. And then this solution is you do it as you, okay, you give it to God just like that every time, every day, and eventually you wake up one day and you find you've got over it. You know, so the memory may come back in the future because you need to take note of a pattern, but the emotion of the past should not be read into the present. The anger from the past should not proceed beyond this Bible point So it's got to belong to God on a nightly basis, even every night. And even if that means I'm not just taking what happened to me today and burying it tonight. You know, that thing that happened three weeks ago is still bugging me. I'm going to rebury it tonight again. So you do not have to fix it before the sun goes down. You just have to put your anger to bed when you go to bed. So what happens if you do not follow God's rule? Because you, are, you have a free will. You have unfettered free will. You can make your own choices, but you cannot choose your own consequences. What happens if you don't follow this rule? Verse 27, neither give place to the devil. You give the devil a spot between you and your spouse, you and your children, So resist the devil, do not give him that opportunity, otherwise the devil is building a workshop in your dreams, and then that bitter root makes you respond based on emotional feelings left over from last night's sleep, instead of responding according to the facts of God's Word, and giving God a faith response, so that the Spirit can answer to the Word in your life. So what we are seeing, and this is our fourth point for study, is a strategy for prayer and patience, which will always lead you to a plan received by the Holy Ghost. I mean, this strategy will always result in the Holy Spirit giving you the plan to go forward. You know, so much of what we do is done impatiently, and it's done in the flesh, because so much of what we do is based on how we feel, and dwelling on how we felt instead of based on the waking reality of God's truth. So force yourself to wait until the emotions drain out and then find a biblical solution. Now, the lost world doesn't know anything about this. And the consequence of that is drive-by shootings, party shootings, uh, sports event shootings, shootings in the home, family killing family we have the only answer it, if it's and you know what if what you are mad about is important at all it's important enough to wait on the lord then the bible gives you two ways say so you've got to display this distinctively to our society and this is rule number 3 number 1 don't just point out problems but number 2 offer solutions That is your holy distinctiveness. Look at verse 28. Let him that stole steal no more, but rather let him labor working with his hands the thing which is good. Why? Why? What's going to motivate him to do that? Well, he's going to change his motivation now to match this, to match God's waking reality in this next clause that he may have to give to him that needeth. So Paul didn't just talk about the problem of theft. He offered a solution. He said, number one, get a job. Number two, make your focus serving others so that you want to stay at that job, be good at that job, progress at that job. And you know, a negative person always sees what's wrong, but they do not work on a way to make it right. And so, you know, we have to be negative in the face of evil, but we do not have to communicate negativity. Hello, somebody. You know, when Brian was calling up the uh, deacons to come and take our offering this morning, he called them, uh, you know, he he called them the disciples and said, but I don't know which one of you is the disciple Jesus loved. Well, John was the disciple Jesus loved. Well, didn't Jesus love all his disciples? Yes, but he didn't love them all equally. Well, what does that mean? Well, that means when it says John was the disciple Jesus loved. He was the disciple Jesus could show love to. Now, you try loving Peter. You try loving Peter that way. I mean, I think John was always following, accepting, not judgmental. That wasn't Peter, man. Peter's questioning the Lord. Nay, Lord. No, Lord. Is it no, this isn't even going to happen. I mean, Peter is always... I mean, John, John, Jesus still loved Peter, but not like he loved John, because he couldn't. You need to work on being the disciple Jesus loves. Okay, you need to drain out the negativity. Now, if you're here and you're not asleep, I know just what you're saying. Look, Alan, how will I know the timing is right uh, to bring up a negative situation without communicating negativity? Well, you know the timing is right when the Holy Spirit shows you a solution. Now, if it's not practical, it's not preaching. So I'm not preaching if I have not made this passage practical today. So, men, do not come home To a spouse who has worked all day like you are the king at the second coming. I'm just saying, do not come in demanding your meal, your bath, your iPad, and your slippers. Now is not the time to bring up how dirty the kitchen is or that your favorite shirt still needs ironing. Now, I will admit, I will admit, you look like a Greek god in that shirt. But you look like a Greek restaurant when you take it off. (laughs) So I'm just saying, you look like a big fat Greek wedding when you take that shirt off. So sometimes it's as simple as asking, how can I help you? Now, ladies, if your man isn't everything he ought to be, okay, it's all right to bring that up. But you got to remember, God gave you to him to be his helpmeet. God gave you to him and not to somebody else. Because he is just as bad as you say he is. So you got to, you know, you can't just beat him down all the time. You got you to love him enough to raise him up to where he ought to be. So you got to have a spirit which says, as bad as stealing is, I am here to offer you a solution and not to exact retribution. So let me tell you a parenting tip. Let me give you some uh, marital counsel. This is our fifth point for study. Condemnation without hope always crushes. Do not treat your spouse. Do not treat your children that way. Offer hope by retreating to a position of faith and then force yourself to find the solution in Christ and share it at the same time you share the problem. Do not murder somebody's mind by killing their hope. Now, if they don't take the biblical solution, well, then the homicide is on them. But if you can show them the answer at the same time you uncover the problem, ye do well. Rule number four, build up, do not tear up. Verse 29, let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but that which is good to the use of edifying that may minister grace unto the hearers. Man, that is what we need. And because that is what we need, the Christian Standard Bible corrupts it and says, let no foul language come out of your mouth, which is not what is being said here. And the New American Standard Bible and the NIV says, let no unwholesome word or unwholesome talk. No, it's it's a lot more than that, baby Baba. In the King James usage Corrupting refers to something that turns a good thing bad, Second Corinthians 7.2. So I think it is quite ironic that the favorite word that the skeptical scholars and the textual critics use about the King James Version and about its text is that they are corrupt. No, baby Baba, you are corrupt. So, it is deceitful lusts that corrupt us, Ephesians 4.22. We can escape that corruption by partaking of God's divine nature through the precious promises of His Word, 2 Peter 1.4. Modern scholars and translators do corrupt God's Word, 2 Corinthians 2.17, and they do this by subtly questioning God's words, 2 Corinthians 11.3. Just read their footnotes. Just read their study Bibles. So Colossians 4, verse 6, Let your speech be always with grace, seasoned with salt. Why? Because salt keeps stuff from corruption, that ye may know how you ought to answer every man. You need to not just answer. You need to, you need to learn how to answer. Uh, you don't even know what to say unless you start off this way. So, there has to be red lines in your communication over which you are not going to cross, because when you do cross those lines, it is corrupting, it is defiling, sometimes it 's homicidal uh, It is what that type of communication is what belongs being mortified, buried in a grave, so your speech either has to edify or minister grace, otherwise it is corrupting to others. Now, why is this so important? Why is this so relevant to adulting in the home? Because an explosion is where something blasts out, but we know from the Titanic incident that an implosion is where something caves in. And in one quick second, an entire home can be imploded by your words. You can decimate with your tongue. So in our final point for study, this is number six, speak words appropriate to the situation, which will build up and bestow benefit. That is edifying and ministering grace. Husband and wife were out driving in the country, going down a country road to someplace, and man looked over and he saw an old mule out in the pasture. And, and then he looked at his wife and said, honey, that's one of your relatives. She said, yeah, by marriage. (laughs) And you know, there may be emergency situations that are like applying a tourniquet, okay, where something is so evil and uh, they're cutting off your air supply. Well, you can't hesitate uh, to react until you can figure out how I can break their hold without hurting them. No, you hurt them. And that, that, you know, okay, there are exceptions. But as a general rule, wait until God gives you building up words before you start blurting out anything. Because if you bend over backwards, you will never have to worry about falling on your face. So here's another reason to go the extra mile in this. Two things are needed. The final, last... Uh, uh, next two things first rule number five crave the assistance of an ungrieved holy ghost verse 30 and grieve not the holy spirit of god whereby you are sealed unto the day of redemption corrupt communication grieves him all the way to the judgment seat of christ because that is how long he's sealing you and a grieved Holy Spirit is like corrosion around your battery terminal. And if your terminals are corroded, then you no longer have access to the power. Now, the power is there in the battery, but the power in the battery does not flow to you. So, the Holy Spirit is the power of the Christian life. The Holy Spirit is the energy of your home. If there is verbal corrosion, the Spirit gets sad and the fellowship's cut off. So, you need to crave the assistance of an ungrieved Holy Ghost. And second, second, rule number six, keep the assistance of an ungrudged human spirit. Now, in order to do this, you've got to discard some things and you've got to put on display other things. So verse 31 says, let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. So God starts with emptying the trash because the good things are going to have to be put in the same vessel, which is your body, the temple of the Holy Spirit. So you need to get out this garbage. Bitterness, as we've seen, is a smoldering kind of anger. But when the wind blows on it strong enough, then it flares up into wrath. And wrath is anger expressed in explosion. And after the explosion... There is clamor. And clamor is the noise that comes from the frenzied response to the explosion. And then the cry heard during the clamor, if you can either, ever even pick it out. I mean, you can see this on any YouTube video of a bombing someplace. Somebody happened to catch, uh, you know, catch an iPhone video or something of the bomb after it went off. And, and you can hear this. In this part, they have to bleep out. It's always evil speaking. And that evil speaking ends up leading to malice aforethought because malice is planned revenge. And already you're planning on how you're going to get revenge. Throw that garbage out so that you can be adulting and keep it clean. Every one of these things is playing dirty. It is hitting below the belt. Do not play dirty in your communication so that in the final analysis, this is rule number seven, you can clean up the mess Afterward, verse 32, and be ye kind one to another, tender hearted, forgiving one another, even as God for Christ's sake hath forgiven you. You know, Jesus says, uh, tells his disciples to pray, uh, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Paul says, uh, forgive your debtors, even as God for Christ's sake hath forgiven you. Because this is the panacea. This is the miracle cure for dysfunction in your home. Because these three things listed in verse 32, they are three healing balms which give us hope if you will apply as necessary. Okay, so listen, I'm, I'm a doctor, I'm your friend. And the prescription is not four times a day or once a day, No, the the prescription is apply when needed. So be gracious enough to wipe clean the mental and the emotional slate. God forgave you when you ask. So you've got to be forgiving kindly and tenderly. You forgive by viewing them with mercy. So love is restored. If you will view them piteously... And you are able to view them with pity because you admit you are the same sinner they are. So you don't forgive in a spirit of, well, I told you so. Or you know, I don't like this, but I got to do it. No, you must forgive with compassion and understanding which says, I can forgive you because I know I'm fallen too. And I know I have similar needs and similar temptations just in different areas. So in closing, let me state that one of the problems we find with adulting in the home is losers who don't want to surrender. And so they refuse to humble themselves even after they've lost. No, look, you lost. You cannot move on until you surrender. Now that's true in your personal spiritual life but that is true in your home because here's, i me hit to, to with this definition. Submission means surrendering when you're wrong and that is why submission in the home is mutual and not one-sided. Ephesians 5.21 And yes, you may still have to go through the emotional trauma and process that with the word of God and by giving faith responses even after you forgive someone. But forgiveness is not Talking about your emotions, it's talking about your decision. Forgiveness. You know, granting forgiveness in this way to, means that a loss is not a loss. I mean, when is a loss not a loss? Well, when 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 the loss, you turn your loss into your opportunity to be free of the flesh. It's when you turn your loss into your opportunity to let more self go and more of Christ in. It's when you let your loss be your opportunity to be crucified in Christ and respond from a position of faith and give expression to the new man. Forgiveness is talking about how you're going to relate to them as not guilty even though they do deserve punishment for being wrong and for wronging you. And you may need to work through your forgetting of it. But you've got to be kind and tenderhearted in the meantime. My time is up. I thank you for yours. Every head bowed, every eye closed. God grants forgiveness free of charge. Now what I mean by that is it's free to you. The charge was infinite. It was, he's infinitely holy. And even your first sin and your smallest sin is an infinite offense against an infinitely holy God. That's why hell is so logical. Because if you don't accept what Christ did on the cross to pay for that sin, the only way you can make payment is through an eternal punishment. And even then, God does not get out of you what he got from his son on the cross So in that sense that he's paid the price, he grants forgiveness free of charge. That's what grace is. And the only admission is humility. The humility to confess, the humility to repent so you can get in on that game. And that is the only way that you you get God's help in the home and, and in your life. So tear down the wall today. Lay down your arms and surrender. Run up the white flag in prayer right now. The blood of Jesus has enough power to cover it all, to correct it all, and to cleanse it all, and these principles have enough power to cure it all. Will you trust in the blood of Jesus today? Will you simply believe on Jesus for the everlasting life he promises you right now? you know, if you came in here as a visitor or maybe even as, you know, you attend some other church someplace could very well be that all of this kind of sounds strange to you because this goes against the spirit of our age. And Satan has done such a good job at camouflage and and covering over and counterfeiting and getting us away from the true solution that God has given us in his word but this is God's manual for your human life. So if you want to be saved right now, if you want to be promised eternal life, life after death, all you have to do is pray just your heart to God, knowing that he hears. Just pray and say, God, save me today for Jesus' sake. I see it today because I know it now. If I didn't know it before, I didn't understand it. Lord, today I see, I know. He paid the penalty on the cross so I could be fully human. So I could, my soul could be part of your purpose in eternity. And God, I want that. God save me today for Jesus' sake. I trust Jesus for everlasting life. So here, Jesus, I give you my life. And if you pray like that and you trust Jesus today, then either as we sing or as soon as we're done, come up here and let us know. Meet one of us at the front of the aisle here. I want to give you a copy of my book, Next Steps for New Believers. Sign up for discipleship on your way out there in the lobby. We want to give you everything you need. This is not the end of the conversation. This is the beginning of your conversation with God. We want you to grow. We want you to have the power that comes from a redeemed life. So if you come here and attend here, but you're not a member and you want to talk about that, come up and let us know if. You've never been scripturally baptized. Come up and let us, you know, ask us about that. If you want to be prayed for, prayed with, or prayed over, come up and we'll have somebody pray with you today.